Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your, with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins on that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. On that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those, bought, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray again together. As we approach this passage of Scripture, Lord, we, we see things here that are, are difficult for us to understand. 
We see things here that are difficult for us to apply and to interpret in light of the new covenant in Christ. Lord, we ask that through the power of your Spirit, you would, would till the soil of our hearts, that we would, would understand and that we would see these things with the eyes of faith and that we would walk in obedience to them as you call, them to walk, as you call us to walk in obedience. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand and to interpret rightly and to rightly divide your word. Lord, if there's anything that I say here this morning that does not line up with, with your word, I, I pray that it would not have any impact, but it would blow away like dust in the wind. But Lord, the things which I say here which are true and, and really do line up with your word, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to respond in faith and obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Abraham Kuyper, Dutch pastor, theologian, journalist, and prime minister, famously declared, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The Lord calls Abram, mine. We saw that back in Genesis 12 when, when the Lord commanded him to leave or and, and to leave his family and the Lord blessed Abram, promising him a seed and a land. Well, once again, here in Genesis 17, the Lord calls Abram mine as he calls him to walk before him and to be blameless, giving him a new name and providing him the sign of the covenant and giving his wife a new name and promising him a son through her. In Genesis 15, as the Lord promised Abram a reward, Abram proposed his servant Eliezer. But the Lord told Abram that he would have a son from his own loins. Then, as you remember, after 10 years of waiting, Sarai came up with the ill-conceived plan to give her servant Hagar to Abram as a surrogate wife and as a surrogate mother. So as we left Abram at the end of Genesis 16, Ishmael the son of Hagar, the servant, was born. Now 13 years have passed since the birth of Ishmael, 25 years since the Lord first called Abram. Abram, it seems, has lived under the hope that Ishmael would be the heir of the covenant blessing. But he was mistaken. The Lord had another plan. The Lord had an immeasurably better plan. The identity of the promised seed was finally about to be announced. So now when Abram is 99 years old, the Lord comes to him and yet again reiterates the promise, this time instructing Abram in the sign and seal of the covenant, circumcision. And the Lord here emphasizes the perpetuity of the covenant. This is a further stage of the administration of the covenant of grace that the Lord made with Abram in chapter 15. And it goes back, as we said, to the promises that he had made initially to Abram back in Genesis 12. The grace of this covenant was, is seen in the fact that Abram was in a deep sleep as the Lord passed between the slaughtered animals alone. The Lord is keeping both ends of the covenant. In chapter 15, there were no stipulations put on Abram. But in chapter 17, there's two. Live uprightly before the Lord and two, practice circumcision. It's very important to understand that these stipulations are not part of a new covenant arrangement with 
Abram, but part of an existing covenant relationship. Again, this is the same covenant that began in chapter 12 and, and continues in chapter 15. And as we see here in chapter 17, and, and we'll continue even in, in chapter, chapter 22 when the Lord makes an oath regarding the covenant after Abram's act of, of, of amazing obedience. Paul treats all of this as one covenant in Romans chapter 4 as he uses Abraham as an example of someone who is saved by faith alone, showing that Abraham is saved in exactly the same way we are. Friends, all Old Testament believers are saved in exactly the same way as New Testament believers. Remember the, the common elements of, of covenant. We see them repeatedly. We saw it in the, in the covenant with Adam. We saw it in the, in the covenant with Noah. We see it here in the covenant with Abram. There's two parties, one of whom is the divine witness. There's a historical prologue of past blessings. There are stipulations. There are sanctions. And there's a ratifying oath and sign. Again, all of these can be found between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, part of this one covenant that God makes with Abram, which is a, an administration of the covenant of grace. And so as this, this ch the chapter, chapter 17 is, is at the center of this Toledot, the, the generations of Terah, which tells the story of, of God's dealings with Abram and his covenant with him. And central here to chapter 17, again, is this sign or seal of the covenant of circumcision. Righteousness was imputed to Abram in Genesis 15. And now Abram is called to the resultant devotion to that covenant of grace. This covenant was, is initiated and maintained by God's grace solely through his divine election. And walking in obedience, in obedience is the mark of a true believer and the fruit of God's work in one's heart. So Abram was a mark, well, obedience was a mark that Abraham was justified by faith before being circumcised. His, his faith, rather, was a mark that he was justified before being circumcised. Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. Where the word covenant appears only once in chapter 15, it occurs 13 times in nine verses here in chapter 17. This chapter contains five divine speeches. The first two occur in verses 1 to 8 with the general promise of an offspring. The central speech in verses 9 to 14 includes the instruction on circumcision. And the final two speeches deal with the specific heir. It is only, only, although only circumcision is presented here as the sign, each section includes a sign. That the changing of, of Abram's name to Abraham is, is a, a sign of God's ownership over Abraham. And it is a, it is a sign of his, of his covenant relationship with him. Circumcision also, again, is the, is the second. But also in the third section, we see that Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. This is another mark of God's covenant blessing, God's covenant ownership on Sarah. So this, this promise then grows and, and now we'll begin to include kings coming directly from Sarah's womb. So in this chapter, in chapter 17, the Lord confirms his covenant with Abram, calling him to obedience and initiating with him and with his offspring the covenant of circumcision. 
The Lord reiterates his covenant promises to uh, Abram and then changes their names, again, further testifying of his lordship over them. So we can see that there are really four sections in this chapter. First of all, the reiteration of the covenant in verses 1 to 8. The reiteration of the covenant, verses 1 to 8. And then the, the sign of the covenant in verses 9 to 14. The specificity of the covenant in verses 15 to 22. And then finally, compliance with the covenant in verses 23 to 27. So first of all, the reiteration of the covenant, verses 1 to 8. This chapter begins and ends with the fact that Abram was 99, forming really bookends to this, to this narrative. The, the Lord appears to Abram in a, another theophany and says to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So again, this is a familiar element of covenants where, where the, the, the Lord um, identifies himself as the initiator of the covenant. And so he provides Abram here with his name, El Shaddai, or, or God Almighty. And God here is, is giving Abram two imperatives that, that lead into a promise. And so, so th these imperatives, we combine them as one a moment ago, but we'll divide them up. Um, for the purpose of, of explanation here, walk before me and be blameless. And then the promise, I will multiply you greatly. Now this concept of walk before me, it communicates um, the service and devotion of a faithful servant to his king. And it means here in this context to live in, in continuous, conscious, loving submission to God. It's similar to the way that, that a well-trained child listens intently for the voice of a parent eager to obey right away. And children, I, I know that that probably means you. Or not. Being blameless doesn't mean being perfect. In the, in the sense that we usually understand this word perfect, it means to live with integrity in an absolute commitment to God. It means to live without fault, to be complete. And together, the, the commands mean to, to live a, a righteous life. This is encapsulated in the Latin phrase, Coram Deo, which R.C. Sproul explains means live before the face of God. It is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. God here is calling Abram to faithful, loving obedience. And friends, he is calling you to faithful, loving obedience as well. I wonder, what is your response to this call of God? Well, Abraham falls on his face. He'll do so again in verse 17. Friends, genuine faith results in genuine devotion. I wonder, is your life marked by genuine devotion and growth in genuine devotion. When you pray, do you really pray or are your prayers prayerless prayers? When you read the Bible, if you read the Bible, are you focusing on the scriptures or are you just skimming it without paying much attention? 
Are you walking in obedience or is your life characterized by unrepentant sin? Are you consciously aware of the Lord's presence and and devoted to him lovingly throughout the day or do you spend most of the day ignoring him? May the Lord help us all to, to show our faith by our works. God here reiterates the promise in verses 4 to 8. Although the promise itself hasn't changed, more details are now being added. Sandwiched between the, the, the repetition of the promise that God is going to make Abraham, Abram a father of, of multitude of nations in verses, verses 4 and 5, God now gives Abram a new name. Abram is now Abraham. So God, as, as Abram's, or now Abraham's Lord, exerts his sovereign right to give him a new name. This is a sign of, of Abraham's change in status. Abram, if you remember, means exalted father, or he is exalted to his father. It means noble by birth. But Abraham means, fittingly, father of a multitude. So his name now has the, the additional forward-looking element. Not just talking about his birth, but about those who will be, will be born through him. So future generations are, are now beginning to, to come into view. And, and so God promises, in an echo of the promise that was given to Adam and to Noah, to, that he would, make, he would make Abram exceedingly fruitful in verse 6. Well, by the end of, of Genesis, Abraham's offspring will have grown to many, right? We know that, but, but by the time we, we get to the, the time in Egypt, 400 years later, the, their number, uh, the number of Abram's descendants has grown massive. There's now over 600,000 men in addition to, to women and children. So God does indeed fulfill his promise to make Abraham exceedingly fruitful. Well, then God adds the promise of, of nations and kings coming through Abraham. Genesis is going to speak of the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, and the kings of Edom and Israel descending from Abraham. However, we here as Gentiles are, are part of that promise too, as we are the spiritual seed of Abraham. In verse 7, God tells Abraham that he will establish or fulfill the covenant, that God is, is still upholding both sides of the covenant. This is all part of one covenant of grace. And God here also tells Abraham that it's going to be an everlasting covenant. And in verse 8, that, it's, it's an ever, that the land is an everlasting possession. Verses 13 and 19, it, God is again going to call this an everlasting covenant. Well, notice here that again the focus on the future. As great as the promise of the land is, as great as the promise of an offspring is, how much better is it that God promises that he will be the God of this offspring, that they will have him as their God? Parents, think about this. And I know that, that, that you ha- enjoy the blessing of, of having children, but the heart of every Christian parent yearns that your children will love and serve the Lord. This is, is one of our deepest desires in life. Well, then with the promises of the covenant reiterated and the command that Abram and his offspring will be set apart for the Lord in the land, we now turn to the sign of the covenant in verses 9 to 14. 
the sign of the covenant. God demands that his people be set apart for him. He now provides the sign of the covenant as, a, as his mark of ownership. God tells Abraham that he and his offspring must be circumcised. Again, here see the focus on future generations. Something that, that's really not clear in English but is clear in Hebrew um, is, is that the, although the pronouns here are, are initially singular, they, they quickly give way to, to being plural. So again, referring to future generations. God is commanding that every male descendant of Abraham be circumcised throughout all of their generations. And, and it's interesting that the mark is on the organ of reproduction. It's a sign that the product of reproduction, all of one's offspring, belong to God. Well, circumcision was not unique to Israel. Many of the surrounding nations practice it, though usually as a, a rite of manhood of, or of marriage. Well, here it's unique in that it's prescribed for babies on the eighth day. In the Jewish ceremonial law, there was a, a period of, of uncleanness for the mother of, of seven days, and then the baby would be circumcised on that eighth day. The eighth day also, in the Old, in the, in the old Covenant, and the, the, the ceremonial aspects of the law also held a symbol, and symbolic meaning as the Day of Atonement or, or dedication to the Lord. So circumcision is, is much like the rainbow that was assigned for Noah. As Alan Ross explains, the sign of circumcision would be a reminder to God of the promises that he had made, and it would be a reminder to the seed of, of Abraham to live in loyalty to the covenant. So it's a reminder for both, for both God and those who are under the covenant. Victor Hamilton adds that Abraham's circumcision is as much an amen to Yahweh as was his affirmation in Genesis 15.6. It's a, an act of outward obedience as a result of the justification that comes by faith alone. And God warns in verse 14 that those who would not submit to the stipulation were rejected, were rejecting the covenant community, community. But even more than that, they were rejecting the Lord. Look at the end of verse 14. It says, the, the one who is, is not circumcised has broken my covenant. The, the offender would be cut off from the covenant community. So for the people of Israel, circumcision was a reminder of, of where they had come from. It was also a reminder of where they're going. It was a, a call to obedience. And so with that, as, as, we, as we look at, at this, this prescription for circumcision, I, I think it's important that I, I would spend a little bit of time discussing baptism. Um, those who practice infant baptism believe that baptism in the New Testament corresponds to circumcision in the Old Testament. But neither infant baptism nor believer's baptism is the New, New Testament counterpart to circumcision. Circumcision is a type that points to a circumcised heart. Stephen Wellham rightly points out that the type is not the same as the anti-type. Wellham explains that the problem with equating circumcision and baptism is that it fails to do justice to the covenant signs in their own covenantal context. 
He says, no doubt they're parallel in a number of ways, but circumcision is an Old Testament ordinance established in a specific redemptive historical context, and the same is true of baptism in the New Testament. It is not correct to equate the two in a one-to-one -one fashion. Essentially, what he's saying is that, is that circumcision had its place under the Old Covenant. And baptism has its place under the New Covenant. But it is, it is a, a false equivalency to, to equate one with the other. Earl Blackburn writes that circumcision distinguished Abraham's covenants from all other peoples on the earth. As God was establishing a line through which the promised Messiah, the seed, would come. So circumcision was part of the, the ceremonial law. It was abrogated in the new covenant. It has fulfilled its purpose. But baptism is, is not the New Testament counterpart to circumcision. A new heart is the New Testament counterpart to circumcision. E even in Deuteronomy, you can see that this is where, that where God wants it to go, to a circumcised heart. Nowhere in the New Testament is circumcision equated with baptism. Only in Colossians 2, 11 and 12 are they even mentioned together. Let's, let's go there, please, to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. So Paul here mentions baptism uh, as, as a kind of Christian circumcision. But notice that so that his readers do not equate circumcision with baptism, Paul immediately draws a distinction between the two, saying that the circumcision that he is speaking of is a circumcision made without hands. He is speaking of the spiritual circumcision of those who are in Christ. So physical baptism does not replace physical circumcision. Spiritual circumcision replace, replaces physical circumcision. Circumcision is fulfilled in the new covenant, again, not as an outward sign of, in the outward sign of baptism, but in the inward seal of the regeneration that comes through the Holy Spirit. The circumcision that comes from the, in, that takes place in the heart, which leads to justification. Baptism, again, is not the New Testament counterpart to circumcision. A circumcised heart is. Paul says it emphatically in Romans 2, 28 and 29. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. In Philippians 3, 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It is only those who are born again, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Those whose hearts have been circumcised are the true children of Abraham. Even in the Old Testament, to be literally part of the covenant meant that physical circumcision must be followed by spiritual circumcision, a new heart, and more on that in a, in a few moments. But friends, the, the, the position that infant baptism correlates to circumcision doesn't hold water. Pun intended. Circumcision was the mark of God's ownership. And now your circumcised heart is the mark that God owns you. If you are sitting here uncomfortable with the, the idea of, of being the possession of another, of, of God owning someone, remember, we are all owned by someone or something. 
You're either owned by God or you're owned by sin. Let's now consider the specificity of the covenant, verses 15 to 22. The Lord had already changed Abraham's name, and now he changes Sarai's name to Sarah as a pledge that she will bear Isaac, Abraham's covenant offspring, demonstrating that Ishmael is not the heir. Both Sarai and Sarah mean princess. But note that God promises to bless her, that this is over and above his, his promise, uh, uh, the, the promise that's coming next. She is, is going to be personally blessed by God. Finally, after 25 years, 25 years after the promise of the offspring, we're told who the, the promised son would be. And again, God promises to bless her, saying she should become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Think of some of the kings that, that were her offspring. David and, and Solomon, two important kings. But there's another king that would come through Sarah. This points, of course, ultimately to Jesus Christ, the king of kings. Abraham, understandably, runs the gamut of emotions in his response to the Lord. Just stop and think about this for a moment. I'm almost 50, and I... I'm walking with Jane, who is at the, the comparably tender age of, of 38. As we, as we walk through, well, we don't walk through pregnancy together. I try to support her in it. But, but as we walk together in this, I'm almost 50 and she's 38. Abraham was, would, when, when the baby would be born, Abraham would be 100 and Sarah 90. And the, the first thing that... that Abraham does when he's told this is, is he falls on his face. He worships. This is the, the right response, isn't it? This is the, this, the sane response to this promise that has come from Almighty God that he and, and his wife, 190 years old, are going to bear children. Worship is the right response. But then on the heels of that, he laughs. Now, I know that there's people who, who sometimes laugh in an awkward moment. I don't think this is it. I don't think this is it. This is, it, it seems to be an expression of doubt. Now, now it's going to happen again. Sarah is going to laugh. We'll see she, on, on, on two occasions. She is going to laugh and is going to be addressed with it. And their, their son's name is, is going to, to be in part a response to their laughing. But the next response, he, he, Abraham attempts to negotiate. Remember earlier he'd suggested that, that his servant Eleazar would be a surrogate for a son. And now he puts Ishmael forward, the, the, the son of his, of his surrogate wife. Clearly he, he loves Ishmael and, and wants him to be under God's covenant blessing. But I wonder here, before we, we drill down on that a little bit, I wonder if, if we're prone to these sorts of responses to, to God's promises. You know, I, I think at times we, we would all show most, if, if not all of them, that, 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 there's a, that of course there's times that we worship, we rightly respond to God's promises, but, but there's times that, that we respond with, with incredulity, isn't, aren't there? Times when we really we begin to doubt God's promises. And maybe sometimes even, even right on the heels of, of professed faith. 
And then even in the, the negotiation, it's a, a failure on Abram's part to, to take God's promises for what they are. And we do the same thing too. But God's response to, God's response to, to Abraham is not negotiation. He says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. And Isaac, as you're probably aware, means he laughs. He laughs. It's a kind of a, a double meaning that we'll explore a little bit more there later but in a, in a future sermon. But, but the significance of Isaac's name is going to come up again. It's going to come up in the next chapter and again in, in chapter 21. But nonetheless, in verse 20, God does make a promise concerning Ishmael. This promise has three elements parallel really to the covenantal promises that he's made to Abraham. But yet Ishmael is outside of the covenant. It's a promise to bless him. It's a promise that, that he'll be fruitful. It's a promise that he will father 12 princes. And this corresponds to or parallels the, Jacob's 12 sons. The, this promise to Ishmael we'll, we'll see fulfilled in his genealogy in Genesis 25 uh, verses 12 to 18. He promises nationhood to Ishmael. Again, this is the ongoing, uh, this is the ongoing fulfillment of the promises that, that we saw there at the end of chapter 16. But Lord, though the Lord had promised that Ishmael would be the father of a multitude, again, he was outside of the covenant. He's outside of the covenant. God is not making a covenant with Ishmael. It's not because he was more sinful than Isaac or anyone else, but, but simply according to God's divine election. With that, I think it would be helpful for us for a moment to, to revisit the issue of baptism. This helps us to see that, that more of a difference between infant baptism and believer's baptism. It, it's not primarily the administration of baptism that, that divides paedobaptists and baptists on this issue. It's, it's, it's who are the covenant people of God. That's the root issue. Clearly, in Genesis, you can see that not all of those who were circumcised were elect. Many were circumcised, but were not part of the covenant. Ishmael was circumcised, but he is not part of the covenant people of God. Yet, he was under the covenant blessing of Abraham. But again, he's outside of the covenant. Ishmael is not part of the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15. Again, this theme is, theme is clear here, but it's going to be repeated throughout Genesis, and we'll see, it, we'll see it also later in the Bible. Now, this fact is crucial to the Baptist position. It's crucial that, that, that not all of those who are circumcised are part of the covenant. But Paedo-Baptists, on the other hand, believe that Abraham had only one posterity that both Isaac and Ishmael were part of the mixed people of God under the covenant of grace. As Ligon Duncan, res respected Presbyterian pastor, theologian, and, and really one of my favorite preachers, says, he says the biggest point of issue between the Baptist position on baptism and the Presbyterian or the Paedo-Baptist position on baptism is not in our doctrine of the sacraments. It is in our doctrine of the church. Duncan is 100% correct. The question isn't really who can be baptized, but who is part of the church. Now, if there is, as our, our Paedo-Baptist brothers contend, one people of God as descendants of Abraham, then baptized infant and believer alike are part of the church. 
But if not all of the children of Abraham are under the covenant of grace, then it's only believers who are part of, part of the church, and it's only believers who should then be baptized. In verse 21, God reaffirms that he will establish his covenant with Isaac, not Ishmael. And he promises that one year from now, Sarah will give birth to Isaac. Then having finished talking with Abraham, God went up from him. And finally, and, and briefly, we see compliance with the covenant in verses 23 to 27. Abraham obeys the Lord's instructions immediately and completely. On that very day, he circumcised himself and Ishmael. Again, we see a unity under the covenant promises, even though Ishmael is not, is not part of the covenant. Then Abraham circumcised every male of his household. It would have been a very painful and bloody day. We saw from, from chapter 14 that there was, was at least 300 men as, as part of his household. The emphasis here is on the, on the, the complete obedience in, in exact, the exact instructions of the Lord in this sign of the covenant. Alec Motyer says that the blood which is shed in circumcision does not express the desperate lengths to which a man must go in self-consecration, but the costly demand which God makes of those whom he calls to himself and marks with the sign of the covenant. He's saying here that the, this, the, the blood that is involved in this, in this practice points to the, the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, points to his death on the cross, it is only those who are under the new covenant in Christ's blood who belong to him. Friends, the, the, the physical act of circumcision, painful though it might be, was actually relatively easy to fulfill, especially for the, the one who's administering it. But all that circumcision represents is, is much, much harder. It's humanly impossible to fulfill. God requires a sanctified, faithful life from those who are in covenant with him. You have never lived a sanctified, faithful life. Th those things that I, I spoke about before, living quorum Dio, you've never done that to the extent that God in his holiness requires. You, you've never prayed as, as God commands you to pray. You've, you've never read the scriptures as God commands you to read the scriptures. You've never repented as God commands you to repent. You've, you've never worshipped him as God commands you to worship him. Jesus Christ is the only one who ever fulfilled the covenant, walk before me and be blameless. If you are a Christian here this morning, God has made his mark on you. You have a circumcised heart. This is an indelible mark. This is a product of God's indelible grace. You are the spiritual offspring of Abraham. By God's grace and for his glory, walk before him and be blameless. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we marvel as we consider your faithfulness to Abraham.
faithfulness that, that we know that, that Abraham doubted as he waited for 25 years for the fulfillment of your promise. Yet, Lord, you are never slow to fulfill your promises. Lord, we thank you that Abraham was faithful to you because you were faithful to him. That his faithfulness was credited to him as righteousness. Just as, as, as his faith was credited to him as righteousness, so, Lord, our faith is credited to us as righteousness. Lord, not our faithfulness, but our faith. Jesus Christ is the faithful one. He lived the, the life we could never live, and he died the death that we deserve to die. He is the one on whom the, the covenant curses were poured out. He is the one to whom circumcision points. And Lord, we as the people who have now been, been given circumcised hearts through the sovereign work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to respond in faith and obedience. Help us, Lord, to glorify you and to to. to demonstrate this mark of faith. We can't do it in ourselves, or we need you to do it in us. Help us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.